Good morning, church. We're the Millers, Angela and Eric. And we have today uh, from the Old Testament a reading, which is going to be from Exodus 20, 12. Exodus 20, 12 says, Honor your father and your mother, that the days may be long in the land, and that the, that the Lord your God is giving you. And my name is Eric, and I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be to God. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Millers. Would you please open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and Matthew chapter 5. We'll get to Matthew near the, the end, but we will primarily be in Exodus. Uh, my name is Jason. I serve as one of the elders here. Grateful to open up God's Word with you today. <clears throat> uh, and before we jump into that, I want to consider John uh, chapter 2. And so this is a great story of Jesus actually going to a wedding. He, he did party. He did enjoy uh, his friends and family and those when they celebrated as we're all supposed to. What I love about this story is that Jesus wasn't by himself. Jesus got a plus five. He was able to invite his disciples with him. They wanted not just Jesus to be there, but they wanted the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. They, they wanted him to be there, but also Jesus' mom was there. And something took place where these weddings would have taken uh, place over a number uh, of days. And John tells us in John chapter 2 that they ran out of wine. Perhaps you're familiar with this story. They ran after wise, wine days after enjoying wine. And, and Jesus' mom comes to him and says, hey, they're out of wine. And, and Jesus sort of looks at her and says, woman, what does this have to do with me? He, he says, my hour has not yet come. In other words, it's not yet time for me to be fully known. And, and Jesus' mom, sort of almost as if she doesn't even understand what he's saying, just says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. What's, what's amazing about this moment is that if Jesus is merely God, the response to Mary should be, how dare you? Did you hear what I just said? I said my hour has not yet come. He would have corrected her. He would have belittled her. He would have dismissed her to say, you have no idea what you're doing. This is not the time. I tell you when it's the time. This is not the place. I'm having a good time with my friends. How dare you do that? If you're familiar with the story, though, you know Jesus didn't do that. And if you're familiar with Jesus, you know he would never do that. What does he do instead? He actually listens to the servants and he tells them, hey, here's what I want you to do. Go get these jars. And he fills them up. They bring it to the person in charge of the feast, and they said, this is the best wine we've had yet. 
What's the point of this story? Well, I think the point of it is that Jesus is giving us a picture of the fulfillment of the fifth commandment, that He was honoring His mother. He was honoring His mother. This simple act today is really challenging, isn't it? Some of us low-key are already uncomfortable. We're not sure where this is going to go, but if you're talking about mom and dad today, I am uncomfortable. See, with the brokenness, I believe many of us have experienced in our families of origin, and really this constant cultural focus on self, we have this disconnect, if you will, from the family and toward individualism. And we have to break away from the family model if the individual is going to continue to be supreme. What I mean by this is that self has to be central in order to maintain our ever-widening definition of family. And the opposite must also be true. Family must continue to widen in its concept in order for the individual to maintain its cultural centrality. So the individual really is constantly favored. And so for many of us, fathers and mothers, mom and dad, honoring them is not really an honorable thing. In fact, it feels not only dishonorable, but it feels dangerous to us as a society. It feels dangerous to us even if at the level of this elemental nature of personhood, that to comply with someone else's wishes is the opposite of happiness. Perhaps, though, conversely, many grew up perhaps in a religious home, perhaps many immigrant families in this particular way, where family is so central to break away from mom and dad would be tantamount to defying your identity and your personhood. So for some of us, to listen to mom and dad is completely dangerous. For others of us, to not listen to them is completely dangerous. Either way, We may be priding ourselves in the self-made life, or we may be priding ourselves through the lens of our mother's and father's approval. Scripture, fortunately, points to a third way, the way that Jesus, I think, really performs here in John chapter 2 well, and it's the fulfillment of Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, in the command to honor father and mother. We're coming into the Ten Commandments now where there's a shift, a movement away from the first four, which are focused on our relationship with God. Now a transition, a hinge takes place here in the fifth commandment into the way that we're supposed to relate to one another. It's a brilliant Sunday to have all of the children with us because we need to understand the messiness and complexity of this. And screams like that are going to remind us just how beautiful it is. Would you pray with me as we ask for the Lord's help? Heavenly Father, that's exactly what we need. We need your help today because no one is wise, no, not one. None of us is good. None of us has matured to the degree where we no longer need you, where we no longer need your conviction and correction and help and comfort. And so I pray for myself, I pray for my friends. Would you help us to hear your voice today? Would you help us to respond in obedience Father, help me to be an obedient son today. Help me to be an honoring son today. I pray for my sisters and brothers that they too, in reflection of you, their heavenly Father, would they learn what it is to be children who honor well mother and father for your glory and our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the command's really simple, right? And yet, I think we're going to need a lot of help walking through the implications of this. I know I do. 
So look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. The very beginning summarizes this command for us. It's, it's the content of it, and it simply says, honor your father and your mother. The, the Hebrew word honor means to give weight to, to glorify, or to esteem. It bears the meaning of taking someone seriously, prioritizing them above other options, their importance, their presence, their words. They are worthy, in other words, of priority. The word is used both of people and of the Lord himself. Honor is something given to a particular person by right, yet this word also maintains this loving affection. So it's not this benign sort of followership or honoring, but an affectionate way of extending this kind of right and honor and privilege. And so biblically, we are to honor the Lord because He is Lord, and we are to do this in a manner of love. And according to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, we are to honor our parents, to give weight to their authority, and to do so out of love. This is not the only place that this commandment is communicated. You know, sometimes we're like, that's that one place. I'm going to go to another part of the Bible where it's not talking about this uncomfortable thing. You can't do that with honor your father and mother. No matter where you go, this idea pops up. Leviticus 19, 1 through 3, hear this. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. You're like, oh, but the New Testament, surely the New Testament, we move on to something else. Matthew 19, I'm so glad you asked, quoted in Mark 10, as well as Luke 18. And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'd like to suggest to you, this is a consistent command from the beginning of the scriptures until its completion, all the way through the ministry of Jesus. To better understand this, we must understand that the Ten Commandments, contrary to popular conception, are not ten different commands. They're not completely disconnected. There is symmetry, there's order, there's cohesion. None is isolated. All are connected. This is why we see in the structure, which gives rich meaning, the first four give a picture of how we are to relate to God what it means to submit to him, what it means to have no other gods, what it means to not take his name in vain, what it means to make no images, what it means to rest, to be freed because of the work of God in our lives. So first of all, God's covenant community is to be therefore considered as we move into the second movement, his covenant community as well as the larger human family. As the first commandment, they should have no other gods, is sort of the soil from which the others come. Now these first four are the ground beneath it. Everything else takes root from five all the way until ten. Therefore, when the scriptures teach to, to honor your mother and your father, it is grounding that commandment in what it means to have no other gods what it means to not take the Lord's name in vain, what it means to be a people who rightly honor God as God. So in turn, we see that the fifth commandment becomes foundational to the following set of commandments. Whereas God is foundational to all of life, now we're to understand that mother and father are central to what the covenant family is. Not only so, but what it means to live in human society. To live in human society is to have a concept of mom and dad together because they are designed, they are created as earthly representatives, as an earthly picture, a visible display of the heavenly father. And therefore, when the scriptures teach to not dishonor mom and dad, what the scriptures are really teaching us is don't dishonor the Lord. 
principally and biblically, what we have in a mother and a father. I want to keep us real basic at first. What we have in a mother and a father is a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. It is described this way in Genesis and prescribed this way throughout the Scriptures. Hear this from Professor Rebecca McLaughlin, who explains Scriptural's powerful display of this union as a metaphor, as a living metaphor. Here's what she says. When we think about sex and gender, we instinctively start with culture, biology, and the backdrop of human history. But from a Christian perspective, we need to go back further. God is not constrained by biology. Rather than creating sex in either sense of the word, he could have made humans capable of asexual reproduction like a copperhead snake whenever the feeling takes them. But God created male and female humans as a living metaphor. Now, we may presume that that metaphor is limited to fatherhood because after all, Jesus who instructed us to pray to the heavenly father is a man and he tells us to pray to the heavenly father as we considered a couple of weeks ago. So the question is, can then only a man, only a father, bear witness to God's character in this metaphor? It's particularly instructive for us, I think, in this day and age to look at motherhood, to look at this particular question because of the context of the Scriptures and because of the misreading of Scripture constantly. Since in recent history, motherhood has come under significant scrutiny. In last week's issue of the New York Times Magazine, journalist Karina Chicano wrote a piece about a mother who is TikTok famous. Do you know about TikTok? I didn't. Apparently, I'm a grandpa. I'd never heard about this. It's new to me. It's an app. I guess they're videos and stuff. It's on your phone. It's a touch screen. It's interesting. This, this particular mom refused the title of mama and grandma on her social media platforms, instead opting for queenager. Instead of teenager, queenager, right? This is how she says she likes to be addressed. Kachano writes this, For the longest time, the very word mom turns things that were cool, or at least neutral, into things that, are, that were out of touch, oblivious, or embarrassing. From mom jeans to mom bars, the modifier made things lame and tame by association. Cool mom is the nuclear version of this. The mom and the cool cancel each other out into a kind of mutually assured destruction. Don't you love that? So contrary now to this contemporary cultural disregard of motherhood, God is often described in the scriptures in a maternalistic sense. This happens twice in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, and in Isaiah 66, verse 13. Eve, even Eve, the first woman, the first wife, the first mother, is described in Genesis as helper in relationship to Adam. And this is not a term of subjugation. God himself is repeatedly described with the exact same word, helper, in the Old Testament translation of, the, or rather the Hebrew translation of the Old Testament. Exodus 18, Psalm 20, 20, 20 verse 2, Psalm 30, 20, 50, 118.7 and Hosea 13.9. Not to mention mother in Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 is listed first, which in the ancient Near Eastern culture would have been unthinkable because of how male-dominated and dismissive of women that they were. 
Therefore, it is not the man or the father alone or the woman or the mother alone, but the union of husband and wife, male and female, father and mother, in which humans bear witness to God himself in relationship and in bringing forth life. And so, the command here is not to honor your parents simply because they're your parents. Not because they're awesome, nor because they said you have to, nor because this is the way it's always been, and not even because they're older and wiser. None of these is the primary impetus of commandment number five. Rather, God's command is to honor God because He is God. That's the whole foundation of Exodus chapter 20 thus far. And this is demonstrated by honoring our mother and father through whom God has sovereignly elected to bring each of us into existence and meant for us to understand him rightly. You see, when you look at your mother and father, we are to see the qualities of God. We are meant to see his compassion, his kindness, his grace. We are meant to see his holiness, his provision, his protection. We are meant to see diversity and unity. We are meant to see faithfulness, covenant faithfulness. We are meant to see submission and sacrifice. We are supposed to see order and joy, and perhaps above all else, we are meant to see and enjoy love. We are meant to see in our parents a dim reflection of God himself, who is the only one who is truly honorable. Therefore, like every command, we are to honor our mother and father because God himself is honorable because God himself is due honor. To this point, the Decalogue has not made many promises about consequence and blessing, not specific ones anyway. We got a general one in verses 5 through 6, this idea that the Lord would visit the iniquities uh, to the third and fourth generation, and he would show steadfast love to thousands who love and keep his commandments. And then we saw in verse 7 that he would not hold guiltless those who took his name in vain, But in the fifth commandment, God gets real specific. So where he is general at first, now he gets specific with what we'll call the promises of uh, whether blessing for obedience or consequence for disobedience. Look at the latter half of verse 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. God promises his people long days in a particular land when they honor their parents rightly. And in the immediate context as the people of God are being brought out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, we should understand that God is being very specific here in the immediate context. This is what it looks like in the land that you're going. In the land that you are going, the land that I'm giving you, the land that I'm entrusting to you, the land I'm generously bestowing upon you, what goes there is honoring your father and mother. That's what's normative. That's the expectation. Because you see, God's generosity is never without expectation. We are always meant to be a holy people who enjoy his blessings. This is how it goes well with you, he says, in the land that you are going. Obedience. Now, in my mind, the reward for honoring mother and father that that God is prescribing here is not therefore given an arbitrary benefit of good life or rather of long life in the land. Rather, Living long in the promised land is an outworking of obeying God, which includes honoring father and mother. In other words, long life is a result of obeying God and his word in God's world. 
The way of the promised land, the way of life, the way the life that God blesses includes long life for those who honor their parents. That's the immediate meaning. But there's more. Remember, this is not the only place where honoring your father and mother comes into focus, particularly not with blessing and consequence. Exodus chapter 21, verse 17, death is the costly consequence of disobeying your parents. It says, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. This is also quoted in Mark 7. You know, we always try to get out of it in the New Testament. God never lets us do that. Death is the righteous penalty of disobeying the fifth commandment. In other passages like Jeremiah 35, great blessing comes upon a people for honoring their parents. These passages are just the beginning, though. Deuteronomy chapter 21 gives us a really an unflinching view of the severity of consequence coming to those who disobey or break the strict expectation of the fifth commandment. Hear this from Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. If a man has a, st- has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to him, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voices. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear and fear. Purge the evil from your midst. You know, when we don't honor our parents, we just go, ah, not a big deal. We dishonor our parents, we just go, everybody does this. We dishonor our parents, we're just like, they had it coming, they deserved it. The scriptures hold our feet to the fire, if you will, that there is a severity of consequence for breaking the fifth commandment. To be sure, there's great evil in being ultimately a glutton, because ultimately to to be a glutton is to look at food, to give you nourishment, satisfaction, and a source of life that it was never intended to give you. To be sure, attempting to numb our pain or chase pleasure through alcohol is the essence of distrusting God's provision, power, and grace, and that's what leads to drunkenness. But these are not the points of Deuteronomy 21, don't eat too much and don't drink too much. Ultimately, what is at the center here? The deeper issue is that this son is stubborn and rebellious. The real issue is that the son has broken the fifth commandment. And the consequence is death. The Lord is serious about this. Here's the premise of the whole commandment in two statements. One, God has called mothers and fathers to be central to human society. So to dishonor them is to dishonor God's design for human flourishing. Secondly, God has called mothers and fathers to reflect his nature to their children. So to dishonor them is to dishonor God himself. And ultimately what we see here is that to disobey always leads to this principle in the Decalogue and throughout scriptures. Disobedience leads to death. Obedience leads to life. Disobedience leads to death. Obedience leads to life. But parental identity is always a dim reflection. God alone is truly honored because God alone is truly honorable. 
He is Heavenly Father, who is perfect and all-sufficient. He does not point to someone greater as moms and dads ought to. He is the definition of greatness. He is the substance from which all truth and beauty emanate. His greatness particularly comes into focus as God the Father, knowing Him as Father, as the one from whom all of life and love comes, gives us a true sense of who He is. Therefore, God's fatherhood ought to be central to our understanding of His nature. Professor Michael Reeves explains in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, since God is before all things a father and not primarily creator or ruler, all his ways are beautifully fatherly. It is not that this God does being a father as a day job, only to kick, uh, only to kick, in the ev- kick back in the evenings rather as a plain old God. It is not that he has a nice blob of fatherly icing on top. He is father all the way down. Thus, all he does, he does as Father. That is who he is. He creates as Father. He rules as Father. And that means the way he rules over creation is most unlike the way any other God would rule over creation. He is Father all the way down. Therefore, if we are commanded to honor our earthly mothers and fathers, how much more? Ought we honor our heavenly Father, who is the source and substance of life and joy? What ought this mean or look like to honor God? Well, the Scriptures teach that at the very least, to honor God as Father means to approach Him like a child. means to approach Him like a child. French reformer John Calvin says, whenever we, are, we call God the creator of heaven and earth, let, let us at the same time bear in mind that we are indeed His children whom He has received into faithful protection to nourish and to educate. So invited by the great sweetness of His beneficence and goodness, let us study to love and serve Him with our whole hearts. This goodness and beneficence has been eternally enjoyed by the Godhead. In other words, this didn't show up at creation. Father, Son, and Spirit have enjoyed this reality since the beginning of time, rightly considering His nature as Father, and its eternal quality helps us to understand that God's profound generosity as Heavenly Father in sending His one and only Son, Jesus, is beautifully displayed at the cross. You see, God has always been Father because God has always been Son and Spirit, Reeves continues, the God who is love is the Father who sends His Son. To be the Father then means to love, to give out life, to beget the Son before anything else for all eternity. This God was loving, giving life to, and delighting in His Son forever. Hear this, church. Forever the identity of God as Father has been on display through and by His relationship with the eternal Son. And so, it should not be surprising that it is through the Son that we get the clearest picture of who the Father is. He is the Father whom the Son described, Jesus. Jesus the Son, described in Luke 11 as the Father who knows exactly what His children need. He knows good gifts and He gives them to His children, namely the Holy Spirit. He is the Father whom the Son described in Luke 15 as a Father who picked up His long robe and ran to chase His Son who has come home from the far-off country. 
He is the Father whom the Son described in John 6 as one who generously sealed His Son with unshakable favor. He is the Father whom the Son described also in John 6 as the one who nourishes His children with true and satisfying food bred from heaven. He is the Father whom the Son described in John 14 as possessing a house with many rooms with enough space for all of His children. He is the Father whom the Son described also in John 14 as caring so deeply for His own children that He sent them the Helper, His Holy Spirit. He is the Father whom the Son described in John 15 as being a vine dresser who weaves us into His covenant family vine where we find unconditional love. He is the Father whom the Son described in Matthew 26 as remaining faithful to His holiness and true to His word even as the Son agonized over the costliness of obedience. The heavenly Father is the Father who is eternal, who is generous, who is slow to anger, who is abounding in love, who delights in His children, who provides for His children, who protects His children, who doesn't get angry when they keep whining kind of Father. That's who the Father is. In all of this, what am I trying to say? Well, I'm trying to do my very best to say that the Father is worthy. The Father is honorable. You see, if you want to know the real quality of a parent, ask their kids. Ask their kids. Don't watch them at Sunday when they're murmuring, holding their hand tightly, right? You better lock it up. You better tuck it in. Lock it up. Ask that kid later what's your dad really like. My kids will tell you the truth. Why? Because kids are with their parents when no one else is. And the eternal son, Jesus Christ, has been with his father since jump. So if you want to know about the heavenly father, listen to the eternal son. He was there long before you ever showed up. Secondly, what am I trying to say? That Jesus honored his father. He always has. He fulfilled this commandment, this law, by living in accord with the law. Not only with his heavenly father, but with his earthly mother and his earthly father. At this point, I'd like to take a guess. There's two objections. Well, really, one objection and a question. We'll start with the objection because I I think that it may take a little bit more time. I think it's highly likely that the most obvious objection in the back of our minds, probably from the very beginning of the sermon, has been the tension of a dishonorable parent. In other words, to put it in the form of a question, what do we do, how do we honor How do we honor a mom who is dishonorable? How do we honor a father who is dishonorable? To help us think through this, I'd like to just cover a few biblical realities. The first, parents disobey God all the time. Parents disobey God all the time. Mom and dad are not infallible. They are human beings who fall short of the glory of God in accordance with Romans 3, 23. Our parents will disappoint us and not live perfectly honorable lives. They will sin. And when parents disobey God, sometimes they even encourage their parents, or rather their children, to follow them in their disobedience. In this case, we must disobey our parents. Our ultimate allegiance is to God, not our moms and dads. You see, we are called to honor mother and father, but we're called to serve and worship God alone. Our parents' sinfulness, though, is not an escape clause. It's not an excuse from not honoring them. We are all called to honor our parents no matter who they are, no matter what they have done. Secondly, parents disobey God, but they are still your parents. Sometimes I think that we're tempted to rebel against them in hopes of changing them, in hopes of getting their attention, 
We'll do something long enough for them to change, but we need to understand sin never begets righteousness. Sin never begets righteousness. Dishonoring your parents will not make them obey God. Dismissing your parents will not redeem them. The Lord has given you His Spirit that is much more potent than your sin. His Spirit brings forth life and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That fruit of the Spirit is meant to to give you a witness to your parents as well as anybody else. It's not like the fruit is is good for everyone and your parents like, they don't need to see love, they don't need to see joy, they don't need to see patience, kindness, goodness. I put up with them enough. Galatians 5 is just as important from the child-parent relationship as any. This is a powerful thing at work within you. The Spirit of God who rose Jesus from the dead is alive in you, son and daughter. Therefore, there is a power of what it means to live in such a way of honoring your parents even when it's hard. And it is His Spirit who will transform, not your disregard and dismissiveness. Uh, Thirdly, I think perhaps most difficultly, what do we do when parents dishonor their children? As it relates to this idea of what does it mean to honor a dishonorable parent? Perhaps your situation with mom and dad goes well beyond them disobeying God, well beyond them being frustrated, Perhaps they have directly sinned against you. It's not just an intellectual conundrum for you. It's an offense, a violation. Perhaps they've seriously hurt you emotionally, psychologically, sexually, or physically. Brother, sister, that is wrong. They do not have an escape clause from sin because they are a parent. They are not allowed to dismiss the implications of holiness because they brought you into this world. They did not. God did. Therefore, we must confess and be honest with what we're actually facing. We must listen as a community because what they did was sinful. What they are doing is sinful. What they did, though, God tells us, will not go unpunished. After instructing children in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul turns to fathers and he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The weight of the commandments tell us that God is a holy God who does not overlook an ounce of sin. And He calls us to honor mothers and fathers, but that does not neglect an ounce of His justice. He will make all things right. But perhaps, and lastly, in terms of these biblical realities, honoring them does not mean obeying them forever. There's a distinction biblically between honoring and obeying. Paul wrote specifically to children in the church in Ephesus. In fact, he turns to them. This is one of the reasons that we believe children should be part of the gathering. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul addresses the children. So children, listen up. My children in particular, listen up. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. This was the second or third verse I had one of my children memorize just for good measure. I had to memorize it along with them. And the whole thing, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. He then quotes the fifth commandment in between those two overtures. Honoring, therefore, is a framework for a lifelong relationship with our parents. You are never not supposed to honor your mother and father. But obedience is, in this way is demonstrated only in childhood. We always honor, but at some point we stop obeying our parents. But even in your youth, The disobedience to our parents is done in reverence to the Lord. 
And so, even at a young age, children of church in the square, please hear this. Your obedience to mom and dad is not because they are great. It's because your heavenly father is the greatest. So therefore, honor your father and mother because your heavenly father is honorable. In particular, the, dif- the difference here between honoring and obeying. Honoring our parents is about giving their will and their words weight in our lives and in our decision-making. Honoring our parents is about giving their will and their words weight in our lives and in our decision-making. We should always do this. Secondly, though, obeying our parents is about releasing our agency to them. We submit ourselves fully to their will and their words. This we do for the season of childhood. So we honor always and we obey in childhood. We always give weight to their will and words, but in childhood we obey them without question. The question comes next, what does this specifically look like? What does it specifically look like? Don't we like specifics? What exactly am I supposed to do? Well, if we look at the command, it's actually really broad. Honor them. It could look a thousand different ways. It's a good reminder, as one theologian writes, it's an open-ended command inviting children to respond in any way that honors parents. In all dealings with parents, respect, esteem, having regard and concern for and showing affection, considered, considered a, a consciousness and appreciation are the order of the day. This is a good reminder that the primary function of the law is not here's exactly what you need to go do, but actually this reveals how we don't honor our parents. It reveals as much as it instructs us what to do. Yet this remains a significant challenge, doesn't it? A significant challenge for us today, especially as modern people who have grown up with this sort of individualistic mindset, perhaps even informed by our parents. And if if family, and family is not the only casualty, rather, of this particular cultural moment. New York Times writer David Brooks explains what, what's taken place this way. The grand narrative of individual emancipation left us with, some, with what some have called the great disembodying, whereas, people, whereas before people tended to enmesh in tight communities with prescribed social norms that sometimes seem stifling, now they are cut loose Whereas once they served in hierarchical institutions, now they have trouble thinking institutionally at all. How to live with an institution, steward an institution, or reform an institution to the quality of our social organizations that make up our common life decays. In other words, we don't want to believe our identity is found within family, which includes God's command to honor mothers and fathers. Instead, we live in a day that honors the individual. As a whole, we have abandoned the fifth commandment. In fact, we have reversed the mandate, placing the will of the child specifically and the individual generally as as of primary importance. As a culture, we have sufficiently revised the fifth commandment then to parents, honor your children. Think about popular shows and movies, storylines and books. When a child is a primary protagonist, the story never ends with that child learning to release their agency to mom and dad or obey them. The lesson is never honor and obey your parents. Rather, the parents are the ones who are learning the importance of letting their children go, deciding for themselves, and being their own person. Surprisingly, this great disembodying is nothing new. The Pharisees did it. 
They came to Jesus and told him, hey, your disciples are breaking a ton of rules. And Jesus is like, yo, I know how you're treating your parents. He says, I know how you're treating your parents. In fact, what Jesus reveals is they were breaking the fifth commandment. The Pharisees, to their aging parents, were saying, we don't have any more money, even though they did, because we gave it all to God already. Can you imagine? Your mom and dad call you. Can, can you help? We have a significant need. We are no longer able to provide for ourselves. As many of our parents get to that particular age, and they go, ah, I've already committed all of my money to the kingdom. I can't help you. Jesus puts the Pharisees, these contemporary teachers of the word, bad teachers of the word, inappropriate teachers of the word, and says, you've broken the fifth commandment. You're like a blind guide headed for a pit. Jesus took the fifth commandment seriously. He takes it so seriously, in fact, not only does he go fisticuffs with the Pharisees, but in John 19, it's recorded of how he took care of his mother while he hung on the cross. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Through the agony of death, with the weight of the world's sin and shame on his shoulders, Jesus takes time to honor his mother. He speaks to her as he did at that wedding reception with affection and love. Knowing that he would soon die, he entrusts her to the care of his most trusted disciple. Jesus took care of his mom all the way until the end. Jesus also demonstrates his total honor of his heavenly Father on the cross when in Luke 23, verse 46, it records this way, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In other words, I'm entrusting myself to you. I trust you. I know that you'll be faithful. I know that you will care for me even in death. Our hope as parents and as children is Jesus himself, the eternal Son. See, by fulfilling the law, Jesus welcomes us into a family which is part of a kingdom, and this kingdom is one without end. This is the fullest picture of the long life we were meant to live in the land that God has promised us in the age to come with the Son and the Father by the power of the Spirit. This eternal union and family is filled with the eternal honor of the Son towards His heavenly Father. Because Jesus both fulfilled the law as son and through his redemptive work makes the spirit-filled righteousness of fulfilling the law possible by making us sons and daughters of the Most High God, able, therefore, to honor our mothers and fathers. Through Jesus, we will have a long life in the promised land and the age to come, not because we are perfect in our honoring of our mothers and fathers, but because he is. The land promised to Israel was a place on earth. The land promised to us is a place where heaven and earth become one. In short, we're welcomed into a family that will dwell in a kingdom forever. And Jesus illustrated this kind of life that God blesses in Matthew chapter 5. He gave a picture of it, the fullest picture of it, if you will, in terms of the blessing of this particular land and this particular place. So look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 12. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessing, Jesus says, comes through obedience. This is the long life and the promised land promised to those who are in Christ. And the joyful reality of this kingdom, unlike the promised land to Israel, is that this realm is available to us the moment we become part of the family. We are instantly welcomed into and receive the kingdom of heaven when we become poor in spirit, when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, when we become kingdom people. To be sure, this kingdom is already here, but it is not yet fully realized. The life God blesses is not a life that waits for tomorrow. It is a life that is ours today in Christ. This is ours now through honoring your father and mother, through me honoring my father and mother, and we together ultimately and truly honoring God the Father himself because he alone is truly worthy of such honor. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do ask for your forgiveness because far too often we do not live honorable lives before you. We do not live holy lives before you. We fall short of the glory of God. And so help me, help my brothers and sisters, help us as a people to first and foremost honor you rightly as our Father. And do subjugation of your will and your word, always compliant, always submissive, always obeying your word. And help us more and more to understand what that means like for children to obey their parents and for all of us as long as we have breath to honor our parents that we might rightly reflect the kingdom of God that is here now and will one day be fully realized. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.